Hello and welcome to episode 26 of the Damned United podcast. I'm Bill Olmsden. And I'm Adam Jameson. And we're coming to you quite late on. It's TGIF Fives. Thank God it's Friday. And it is the weekend. Just about half five. I've clocked off a fair while ago, to be fair. Uh, many a hangover from this week, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, triple header, a hat trick for myself, and not the hat trick that you'd like, really. So I'm pretty sore, tired, and ready for a weekend filled with doing very little. How are you, Ads? I'm good. I'm in a better shape than you, by the sounds of it. And by the looks of it as well, with this Jedwood haircut that I'm sporting at the minute. Um, need need a big trim <laughs> ASAP as well on that. But yeah, we come to you with a bit of a shorter episode today. Appreciate it's a bit late in the day, so we're going to try and keep it in and around the 20 minute mark. Obviously, we're playing Coventry tomorrow, so we'll then look at getting a big bumper Christmas special episode out to you over the next week as well, because we've got that week leading until a massive game against Ipswich, which we'll be discussing, obviously, our opponents as we usually do on the show. But a bit more detail surrounding their Christmas schedule as opposed to ours and a bit of a prediction from the fortune tellers as to kind of how many points we may be behind or in front come the end of January. So, as we'll start in usual fashion, the number 26 in alignment with our episode number as well. You've got some crackers to deal with today, so I want you to rate these three players based on, mm-hmm. obviously, the squad number 26. First up, we've got Matthew Kilgallen, Ben Parker, and Lee Bromby. Ooh. Some oldies there. Um, Lee Bromby sticks out for me, part of that League One promotion winning team. And he was a Leeds fan. I'm sure he was a Leeds fan. I'm sure I bumped into him in Headingley before. Um, <laughs> so, shout out to Lee Bromby. <laughs> Matthew Kilgallen was a very good centre-half by um, by all means, but it never really worked out for him at Leeds, did it? Um, did we sell him to Sheffield United at the time? I think we, I think we did, yeah. I would point anyone to uh, the Under the Cosh podcast episode with Matthew Kilgallen, where he recites a fantastic story of when he signed for Ma- when he signed for Sheffield United, and uh, a certain Neil Warnock gave him a rollicking uh, for no reason, which I'm sure people will not find that difficult to uh, <laughs> to hear. Um, and some more of some more of the newbies that we've had. Don Polion, Brian Montenegro, and Liam Liam Bridcut. Liam Bridcut, not a bad central midfielder, but he seems to his career seems to fall off a cliff after Leeds, isn't it? Yeah, he seemed he seemed to be quite inconsistent at Leeds. I felt like there were times where it was like, no, oh, there's a decent player here, but he could never really bang in a repetitive, consistent number of decent performances. I think so. Yeah, the less said about the number 26, the better, I think, judging off uh, some of those. Although Ben Parker, he's been a a Leeds legend, you may say, in terms of the work that he's done outside of a football field with LUTV more recently. So there we have it. Sunderland, the less said, the better. Where do you want to start, mate? Let's try and pick the meat and bones of it. What were your thoughts on the overall performance? 
Overall, very frustrating performance. I felt that in the first half, there were moments where we could have broken and we could have launched a dangerous counter-attacks and we just never got hold of the ball, whether that was Somerville, Jorginho, uh, Piro. We just didn't seem to grasp those opportunities that I think we had to break away and, and cause threats on the break. So that was disappointing. Second half, I felt, again, it was just a case of getting hold of the ball and 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 trying to do what we do, but we we never seemed to do it. And their goal was a bit of a freak goal, really, with the way it bounced off of Pritchard's head and into uh, Melier's path. And we'll come on to Melier and how I don't think you should be letting a ball bounce in your six-yard box, but that's a separate discussion. But yeah, and then after they scored, they just were quite happy to be pending. Uh, and I think they had a pretty good structure and I was pretty impressed by Sunderland's performance overall but all in all I felt that there were opportunities to cause trouble in the first half and we didn't take them and I think I'd almost put it down to a bit of complacency Uh, some of the players just didn't get hold of the ball properly they're doing you know basic first touches playing into your striker you know getting hold and control of the ball bringing other players into, into into play, they they weren't doing it, and it was very frustrating to watch. And I can only imagine that the fans in the ground were frustrated watching that game because I felt there were opportunities to cause some trouble, but we didn't take it. And then, as we know in the Championship, if you don't if you don't score goals when you're on top, you get found out in this league. Yeah, I'll I'll only chip in with that because I, I completely agree with your sentiment there as well. But it was one of those games as well. Don't get me wrong, that if we'd have scored the first goal. Then you could have quite easily gone on and seen us win or getting something out of it. I think it was a bit of a big game in, in terms of whoever got that first goal that, that would have probably gone on and won the game. And Sunderland did so quite late on as well. Bellingham, the scorer, Jude weighing in on, on X as well afterwards, saying let him cook, whatever that means in this uh, modern day. I don't know. So there you go. But um, yeah, pretty disappointing defeat. And a couple of like individual performances that were... You know, slightly below par potentially Kamara and, and Archie Gray, and obviously as you touched on Melier, do you want to you want to start on Melier? Yeah, Melier, he, he made a good save in the first half, a couple of good saves in the first half, but I, he, he he doesn't strike me as a commanding goalkeeper. He doesn't look like a commanding goalkeeper, and I don't think he is a commanding goalkeeper. Uh, to paraphrase a famous Louis Walsh, there, you sound like a pop star, you look like a pop star. <laughs> Oh, well, Ilan Melier, you, you, for me, you're not being a very good goalkeeper. And I just feel there's, that was the type of game where be big, be bold, come out and meet the ball. You know, show us why you're Legion United's number one. Win us that, win us that point if, if, if that's all it is. If, you know, clean sheet, put your body on the line. Where is he? I've watched the replays back and the camera angles don't, don't seem to do it justice. But I, I can't quite see what he's doing when that ball is headed in the box because Joe Bellingham seems to react to it straight away and ends up winning the header, but Melier just seems to stand still and react at the last minute and, you know, put your body on the line, win us, you know, win us a point, get injured. We'll bring, a, we'll bring Kyle Darlow and I'm sure he got a great reception at the stadium. Like, so yeah, 
I just like to see us put our body on the line. And to be honest, that's, that's not just Melia in general. I thought we were a bit soft on uh, Tuesday night. I know Fark said after the game that he was not happy with the referee, but I, I thought we were just being a bit soft. I think we have got a bit of a soft touch, and you, you just feel we need a, a, a bit of a, a hard person uh, in that team just to, in games like that, give everyone a bit of a, a rollicking and a kick up the backside and. I don't know what you think. Because at the Christmas party last night, my my godfather mentioned around a certain, like, Kamara and Ampadu, but he he said exactly the same as you in potentially using more expletives when they're describing, you know, a certain player that we might need that's, you know, he's going to take, he's just going to swipe people out and do so on a bit more of of occasion than potentially Ampadu has done for us this season and really to grab the game by the horns and as you say get everyone else in check as well and I'd agree to an extent I'd just push back maybe on you know I still feel as though there are players within that side that have the capabilities to do that I just think potentially Tuesday night was one of those nights in which it didn't go to plan and you know they, they could have potentially got the backs up a bit more than what they did but again I think there's games like that and we'll see as we've said throughout the season, that there is certain patterns in the championship. You know, there are occasional games where that does happen and you've just got to try and brush them off the best you can and not let it kind of affect your overall mood and the momentum as well because that's another element of it in itself. I think there was a lot of overreaction from Tuesday. While the performance levels might not have been there, remember that we're a side that's just won, well, just been unbeaten in seven league games, winning six and drawing one. Nine from our last 11 games, I think it was, heading into Sunderland. So, you know, I think it's incredibly, again, football Twitter is as fickle as you come, as fickle as you'll you'll find, I think. But I think there was a lot of overreaction given the the fact that I think it was more a case of Ipswich winning and a bit of a panic mode being pressed by a lot of fans. Whereas, you know, we'll touch on it in much more detail next week in terms of the scheduling and the fixtures that Ipswich and us have respectively. But I just think there's no re- need to to overreact. We're not even halfway through the season, so I don't think it's a case of panicking just yet and certainly overreacting. There were some performances that I'd question in there. Perot, I still don't understand why he's playing number ten. And uh, you know, obviously, we'll we can chat about this now and get your thoughts again because I do feel like I'm a bit of a broken record, and I don't know whether you laugh, but starting Bamford or. Joseph, for example, is the answer, or whether it is just literally a case of swapping both of them around. Rutter's created the most chance in the league. I'll say it's on blue in the face. Surely he can do that from a, a like more of a deep lying position and allow Perot to go and be that number nine. Because I think you know while we're seeing touches of brilliance from him at times and you know the occasional decent performance, I just think the effectiveness of his overall game and his performance levels on more occasions than not, certainly outweighing the, the decent performances that we're seeing from him. Yeah, I think Tuesday night was, I think, really emphasised that that issue of Piro being quiet in games. And when, when at times on Tuesday, when we were getting the ball, we were winning the ball high up the pitch, or, you know, we, we were breaking quickly out of midfield and defence, and you need that man in, in, in the number 10. To, to link up that you know to to receive that ball and make that one pass that that springs the attack, he, I think Tuesday night highlighted that Pirot is not he doesn't seem like the player who's going to do that for us, and 
I think Tuesday night would have been a perfect opportunity to try them the other way around and, and maybe Rutter dropping a little bit deep. Um, he might have got a bit more space. And Pirro being that one who you, you kind of bounce the ball up to, who can hold it up a bit better. So, yeah, I think I think that was really emphasised on Tuesday night and it would be interesting to see if anything changes. I don't think it will. I, I really don't think it will. I think he's got his... I think Fark's got his system and it's set. But yeah, I, I agree. I think it, it was really evident on Tuesday night that that issue of Perot going very quiet and in a way match, tough away, tough away ground. And he he didn't, yeah, he, he was non non-existent really. That's the thing as well. I think you know as much as we talked about the overreaction there as well, there is much more criticism that you're going to receive playing in a Leeds United shirt, especially when games not the odd game obviously in our in our case this season isn't going your way but I think in certain games as well he's he's been overshadowed by the likes of James Somerville Rutter and even like the back line and, and Kamara and Ampadu in certain aspects as well in, in a lot of those games there's there's rarely been a game I think that you can really say oh yeah he's been the standout player by X Y and Z margin so I think it's not even a case of him being underrated in those games as well. He's been performing well, but there's been players that have been performing significantly better when he has had his good days as well. So I think there's so much more that we need to see him yet, but that's potentially not wholly down to him. I think Fark's got to play a part in that. We've just put a tweet out before going on air around that decision and you know us discussing this. And Fark is being slightly stubborn in my opinion. I think he, he does need to realise that certain things aren't working in that element. There is probably a quick fix and a big fix in terms of the January transfer window and most Leeds fans, like we've discussed, you know, never really replacing Pablo in that number 10 position. And that is something that we should probably address and look to address immediately as well. So it will be interesting to see if we do that. I'm hoping that we do, but that might be a quick solution for the Rutter-Perot-Bamford debate whoever the hell you want to play in, in those positions, really. Yeah. And you mentioned Bamford, but I can't believe I'm about to say this, but, you know, if if Bamford's going to become effective for this team, he, he needs a run out. He doesn't need a run out. Like, he's not, he's not going to get into a rhythm just coming on for 15, 20 minutes here and there, either when we're dominating a game and there's nothing else to do, or when we're when we're chasing a game, being one one nil down, if he's going to have a role in this team, he, he needs a run out of and he needs a run of games. So, you know, is that a solution? Maybe playing Bamford up top and and dropping Rutter in. I'm not sure, but yeah, I just feel that the, the current it's kind of like we've got a plan A, <laughs> and if plan A fails, we'll just chuck what we've we'll just chuck the kitchen sink at it with a load of strikers and Patrick Bamford, and it's like well. Every time we bring Patrick Bamford onto the pitch, I'm almost ninth, I'm almost hundred percent sure we're not going to score a goal. So, and, and that's the opposite okay. of, opposite of the intention of bringing him on the pitch. Yeah, it is. Don't get me wrong, but you said so yourself at the start of that that dialogue that he's got to start a game. It's it's all well and good, but players need time to react and work their way into the game. Twenty minutes or fifteen minutes, it's incredibly difficult to make a massively significant dif- difference in that period. Aside from missing penalties, which we'll, we'll try and leave in the past. Yeah, we'll, we'll leave but that behind. <laughs> it is it is frustrating. He's been a massively significant player for us throughout the last three years. 
And even more so, the fight decision baffled me. And I'll still go back to it. Mentioned it a couple of times previously, but the QPR game, he accommodated Bamford by putting him up front, moving Rutter out wide and putting Somerville in the 10 position. So, again, if he's doing that, A, why is he not doing it with Perot? And B, why aren't we seeing that kind of change a bit more when when Bamford comes on and, and, and plays? So, it's it's a bit of a baffling one to me, but I'm, I'm probably going to go with start Bamford. I don't think he will at the weekend, but... I genuinely think he needs a start in the next in the next few weeks. If Perot keeps going the way he is, I don't understand why Bamford's being left out of the squad, left out of the side. Sorry, or you know, if not Bamford, if you want to put my head on a stick, so be it, Joseph or someone like that that's going to try and be effective within that role. If that is where Fark wants them to play when they come on, why not try it from the start? Yeah. Um... I'd agree, and I think over the Christmas period, I think we we will see we will we should see Bamford start again because, like you say, it's difficult difficult to do anything in fifteen twenty minutes, especially when the game has either gone and you've won it or you're chasing the game and they're just pending, quite happy to defend. You know, he needs a little run out in a game where he, you know it's it, the game is there for the for the taking and there's there's still an outcome to be decided. Yeah. Lovely stuff. Well, that's us getting cancelled then, or all-time viewership at an all-time low, which will be uh, fun to see. However, <laughs> that's Sunderland in a, in a nutshell for us. Probably spent a bit more time on it than we needed, but interesting conversation nonetheless. I guess Ipswich will touch on next week, but they came from behind to win at Watford. Leicester came from behind to beat Millwall. Bit of a sickener, but 10 points the gap to Ipswich. Leicester 11 points in two two or three sentences. Worried by that gap lengthening? Not not any more worried than I was before. I think you can't complain because in any other championship season we'd be top of the league and um, you know the stats back up. So it's a freak season. Ipswich and Leicester playing great. All I'd say is we don't want to catch them. You don't want to catch them at Christmas. You want to catch them at the end of the season when it matters. So it's all well and good, you know, being annoyed that it's 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 a a gap has widened this week, but now is not the time to catch them. You know, I've I've had many football managers chasing in the championship and, <laughs> and now is not the time. You wanna be you wanna be catching them with uh four or five games to go. I'm pretty um, sure I've just hit the uh, the full house on Jameson Bingo there. We've had an impression. No idea that Louis Walsh would make it on at this podcast, but mega and then We've just had a football manager reference as well. So, James yeah. and Bingo in full swing. Short but yeah. episode tonight, but I'm still getting all the uh, all the usuals <laughs> in. No, I echo that sentiment. I'm always an optimist in, in these situations anyway. As you know, I think 10 points is, isn't an awful lot. We had that in the season under Bielsa, which I mentioned earlier on in the week as well, with regards to kind of some of the morning that I was seeing. It, you know, hopefully Ipswich can go and break a record. <clears throat> Being like a side with a huge gap at Christmas gets overturned, similarly to how we did when we were top at Christmas and, and didn't end up going up in those automatic spots. So, you know, it's entertaining, it keeps us going, and, you know, these are setbacks. Ipswich will have the same, Leicester will have the same. So I'm not massively worried. And to echo that as well, Johnny Cooper, I think, hit us with the stat around Leicester being, you know, holding the record now, essentially for the most 
points at this stage ever in a in a championship season. And if it wasn't for Leicester, Ipswich would hold that record as well, which just tells you the level that, that this championship season is in terms of those top two and the consistency that they're putting up and the results that they're continuously putting up as well. Yeah, and we all know what this, this period is like in the championship. Christmas, getting into January, it can completely change the outlook of a season. Um we've been there plenty of times before and you know it's such a it's such a critical period and January, what happens in January? Injuries are gonna set in this this time of the season, so it's it's all it's all to happen, it's all to play out and you know it's gonna be an entertaining second half of the season. It is indeed. But before we reach the second half of the season we do have a couple of games still to go this side of Christmas, the first of which being Coventry. They come to Ellen Road on Saturday and they're in a bit of decent form, to be honest, Ads. They had lost four in a row until they've just gone on a run, which has seen them only lose once in their last six. And they've kept four clean sheets in that period of of, uh, of play too. So finding some decent form on Mark Robbins again, and he's done an incredible job at Coventry. They're, you know, they're not sitting pretty in the league. They're in 14th, but again, as we know with this league, things can change very quickly and they're on a rich vein of form at the minute. Won three of those games in, in the six, drawing two and losing just the one as well. So, you know, I think again, they're a side that would be pretty confident and will probably come to Ellen Road to, to play some football as well. Yeah. It's an interesting one. They've, they seem to have had like really on off season so far and they're in a bit of a on, period at the moment but yeah I look at those games that they've played recently and I just think well you know it doesn't surprise me that you've won that you've beaten Millwall Plymouth and Birmingham so although they are in a bit of good form I, I still expect us to win the game and if we perform anyway and I like what we're capable of then it should be a game that we win yeah I would agree with that sentiment and a few players for us to watch out for I would say would be O'Hare and Sims, Ellis Sims leading the line excuse me, up top for, for Ipswich. So he's someone that Everton fans know well. Sunderland, obviously, he was very uh, formidable with his partnership with Ross Stewart for them last season. So they'll be decent going forward. And, you know, they've got Hadji Wright and Matt Godden, who was only on the bench for Coventry against Southampton last, last week as well. So both of those players have scored six goals and lead the top scoring charts for Coventry as well. So... Again, they've got decent players all over the park and a very decent manager as well. So it'll be interesting to see how we deal with that because certainly recently with attacking threats, we, we haven't really, obviously the Schmodics at, at Blackburn and, and keeping the clean sheet there was good, but we haven't had many clean sheets in or around that, obviously got after going on that significant run where we kept four on the thin. So it'll be interesting to see how we deal with that. We've got players all over the park that can cause us problems and have been doing so recently for them in the league as well. Yeah, they've, they've got a pretty decent defence, haven't they? And they do play, from what I've seen of them, I've seen a couple of games this season, a bit of them last season, they, are, they do play quite direct football. So that could cause us problems. I think any anyone who plays 1980s football seem to be able to cause us issues. And to be honest, mate, it's it's I don't know, it's pretty important that we don't forget, I think, that they actually could have been a Premier League side. Yeah. 
yeah, yeah. which is just incredible. Luton, Luton even more so, but Luton Coventry playoff finals are pretty incredible. But obviously they did have Gus Hamer and Victor Giorquez as well. So that we were linked with, and I would have loved to have signed him, to be honest, but can't complain with Joel Perot. So yeah, two massive misses for them. But again, seemingly starting to find a bit of form after those four defeats. Gone on a bit of a run, as I've said. Be interesting to see how we deal with it. In terms of the team, what are you thinking from from that side of things? Do you expect Fark to make any changes? He's recently come out in his press earlier on and, and mentioned the fact that, you know, <laughs> I think it's it's a great answer, to be honest, because we, we've said this so many times as well around players are able to play or should be able to play another game within four days of each other. That's what they're getting paid to do. They're paid, you know, hundreds of thousands of pounds to, to be able to do that. So, you know, I, I think he, he can describe them as, no, they're not soft lads or something like that, which is uh, which is nice to hear as well. Because they are not think... soft. <laughs> <laughs> the double impression there. Um, yeah, so that's nice to hear. And I, I don't anticipate there'll be an awful lot of changes, but do you think he will make one or two? Uh, I don't. I don't think he will. No. Um, personally, I would. I. I, I would. Um, I think Nonto's due a start. Um, I don't know how you change that in the the team, but I'd, I. I want to see a bit more Nonto. I, I thought he looked good on Tuesday night when he came on. Um, I still don't like. Archie Gray, we we you, you mentioned it, but we didn't really touch on it about Archie Gray's performance on uh, Tuesday night and against certain wingers, I think he's going to struggle because um, I don't think he's a right back. Um, but again, you, there's not really many solutions to these issues because we don't have any of the right backs. Byron's still out. Whether you could play brings Shackleton back in at left back and maybe play Jed Spence at, at right back, I'm not sure. But yeah, these are all just ideas. I don't, I don't think he'll make any changes. Uh, I'd, I'd be tempted to um, start Monta. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that because Graham Smith had just put an article out as well saying that he'd probably put in Monta and tweak it in that sense by removing Dan James from the starting lineup, which I think would probably be harsh on James. But yeah, I, I'd, I'd, I'd bring him in for Somerville. Uh, Somerville just for his um, corners and free kicks alone, because he seems to be copying Jack Harrison with us. His free <laughs> kicks have been atrocious, terrible. So yeah, it's difficult to choose if you were going to bring on to him between James and Somerville. But yeah, I've been really, really unimpressed with Somerville's free kicks. So for that reason alone, I'd. I'd Substituting for Nanta. Yeah, and then potentially Bamford, but I don't think he'll do that. I, I'd like to see Bamford start for Perot sometime soon. Don't think that'll be this weekend, but I'm hoping certainly over the Christmas period, as, as you alluded to earlier around him just getting a start and getting 90 minutes or at least 75 in his, under his belt to actually affect a game. It'll be interesting to see, but I think he'll... I think he will keep the same side. I don't think he'll tw- tweak it as well. So I think for this is the fourth time in a row, I think we're both agreeing with the same starting eleven as well. Which, again, isn't massively surprising. And it's brilliant that we're still seeing this repetitively like throughout the season. And why would you when, you know, all right, one game hasn't gone your way, but we were in a massively rich vein of form right before that. So 
no surprises there to see the same team. It'll be interesting if he does make one or two changes, what those will be. But we've anticipated potentially a change in and around the right back or moving Spence there. And then alternatively, Nonto coming in for James or Somerville. And, and who knows, Bamford could start instead of Perot. But don't hold your breath on that one. Last but not least, score predictions. I told you there was a reason why I was going with Sunderland. I didn't quite back them to win 1-0. I went one all. So And you went for a Leeds victory as well. Very optimistic last week. So no points for us there. It still remains myself 17 and yourself 14. So all to play for. Yeah, I think I was a bit giddy after the Blackburn game last week. Um, you're still but I, I'm still going to be optimistic this week. So I do, I do still think we win. I'll go 2-1 this week. Oh, no. This is frustrating. <laughs> I need to start. I need to start going first on these. I was going to go the same sky because I think it'll be tight, and I, yeah. I do think we'll concede again. So yeah. on that premise, I'm going to have to go with. I'll probably have to go with three-one. Okay. I'm not going to go one-all because, like you said, I do think we'll win enough firepower, regardless of whether that's in the front four on all those two or three coming off the bench. I think. Yeah, I think we'll see see some goals and hopefully we can win 3-1 instead of 2-1. Propel me up the table. Yeah, and we have been good at mounting back after results that have not gone away this season. Um, and Ellen Road's a bit of a fortress at the minute, so yeah, there we go. For sure. Fingers crossed then. So, yeah, stay tuned for next week's. We're going to get plenty more across our channels out to you, hit you with his questions, any Christmas jokes or Christmas crackers that you have for us. A Leeds United Christmas 11 could be on the cards. A look at Ipswich and our fixtures respectively and a guess at how many points we're going to be behind them at the end of Jan. So all that to look forward to, hopefully three points, and I will see you next week, Adam Jameson. I have been Billy Lumsden. I've been Adam Jameson. And this has been Damned United Podcast. Adios.